Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. Great, man. It's great to be with you guys. If I haven't had the opportunity to, to, to meet you, my name is Clay. I serve as one of the pastors here and uh, one on the teaching team. And so every now and then I get the opportunity to, to teach. And it's always a privilege. I really enjoy it. And I'm thankful to have that opportunity tonight. Pastor Stovall, Pastor Kerry, and a lot of our pastoral staff right now are actually uh, in Los Angeles filming a series of really special videos with Dr. Henry Cloud. And uh, so they're putting together a lot of great resource that's gonna be coming out very soon. You're probably gonna see some of that resource if you've heard about the Awakening Open House event that's happening uh, this July. Some of that uh, might roll out then, but it's gonna be just a lot of great resource. If you know Dr. Cloud, uh, you know that he is uh, just a really uh, strong voice in the world of leadership and psychology. And, um, and so he has a lot uh, to say and him plus the weems is probably gonna be hours of footage. So uh, there's gonna be a lot coming and that's gonna be a great resource. And of course, when it comes out, uh, we'll let the church know how they can watch that and where to find that. And so that's where they are, but I believe they're back this Sunday. So make sure you're in uh, church this Sunday and it's gonna be a great day over a holiday weekend. And uh, so if you're not traveling anywhere, come and hang out on Sunday morning, uh, 9 and 11, before you go off to the beach and enjoy uh, the rest of the Sunday and even maybe a day off on Monday. If you have your Bible, let's go ahead and open it up to Mark chapter five. Uh, we're gonna get there in just a second, Mark chapter five. And um, man, we've just been in a really powerful season in church life. And um, if you've been with us for some time now, you've heard this concept that we've been teaching on, referencing. You've heard Pastor Stovall say it a number of times, and it's this term sacred space. Anyone ever heard him say sacred space, right? If you haven't, you've been living in a cave for about the last 18 months. So, um, but sacred space is, is this term uh, that we've been using to, to sum it up. It, we would probably just say in short, maybe it's the, it's the spaces and places that God has dominion, right? That he has set apart. They're sacred uh, unto him. And, and I wanna look at this concept of space tonight as we examine Mark chapter five. And as we read this passage of scripture, you're probably not gonna understand right away what this has anything to do with space. But I promise before we get to the end of it, we'll kind of tie it all together and it'll, uh, it'll all make sense. So Mark chapter five, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. It'll, it'll come up on the screen to your left and to your right. Uh, on the sky Bible, that was such a preacher thing to say. Um, Mark chapter five, starting in verse one. They came to the other side of the sea to the country of Yerasenes. That's good, y'all. That was, that was good. That's actually, it's actually Greek. Todd, I said it right, bro. That was right. I looked it up in Logos. It's right. Um, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. And he lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been found with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. And night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when Jesus, uh, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice. He said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. 
and he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. In, in Luke chapter eight, there's another account of this in the gospels in, in Luke chapter eight. And it says in Luke's account, it says they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them into the abyss. The demons are saying, don't send us into the abyss. Now, now why would they not wanna be sent into the abyss? It's simple because they're on assignment. And any, any, uh, any soldier on assignment never wants to go back to their reporting officer having not completed the assignment that they were sent to do. They're telling Jesus, Jesus, don't send us back because if we get sent back and we fail the assignment, it will not go good for us. Don't send us away. They're, they're fearful because they're on assignment. Verse 11, now a great herd of pigs was, was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him saying, send us into the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and they all drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country and the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Now, let me read it in the NIV. I like how the NIV says it right here in verse 16 and 17. It says this, those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well, then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. It's very interesting. You would think after Jesus just heals the village crazy guy, they'd be a little more positive. They'd be a little more excited. <laughs> Thank God he's been ruining the town for years. We, he's, been, he's been crying out like he's really had an effect on tourism. No one wants to come here. They all know he's out there. You know what I mean? Like it's really hurting business. You'd think they'd be a little more positive, but all of a sudden they're asking Jesus to leave the region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but he said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. If you wanna take some notes tonight uh, for the 28 minutes and 38 seconds that we have left, I wanna speak to you on what I've entitled the space between, the space between. So Father, in Jesus' name, once again, we thank you for your word. We thank you that the Bible is not like any other book that we're currently reading or on our shelf because the Bible is alive. It's inspired, it's authoritative. And when we not just hear it, but apply it and obey it, we are certainly better. And so Lord, we lean into your word tonight. We know that it has all power that comes straight from you. So God, I pray that we would hear things we've never heard before, see things that maybe we've never considered before. God, that we would leave encouraged. Lord, I pray that you would lift the head of the discouraged right now in Jesus' name, that you would heal the bodies of the sick, restore them in the brokenhearted. God, that you would do all of this, even in a short period of time that we have together because we know that you are able. God, we love you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen, the space between. One of the main foundational storylines in all of scripture, as, as we kind of jump into some teaching tonight, one of the main concepts that we see in the Bible is this concept of heaven and earth. Heaven and earth, right? These two unique spaces. And so you need to understand there's heaven and earth, right? So in other words, there's this supernatural space 
and there's this natural space. Now, when I say heaven, sometimes in scripture, you'll see it written the heavens, the, the, the heavens. It's, it's referring to the supernatural realm. And inside of the supernatural realm, there are both good and evil, okay? So, so just the word heaven doesn't just mean heaven like where Yahweh is, where we will go and be with him, like the heavens, the supernatural realm. There's good and evil, right, in the supernatural realm. And, he, and here is this earthly realm, okay? So there's, there's Yahweh, there's King Jesus, there's the kingdom of God, but also in the supernatural realm, there is Satan, there's fallen angels, there's principalities, there's demonic activity, okay? Are we tracking? We're all, we're all good, okay? And when you read the whole story of scripture, right, we're, we're talking about the whole story a lot on Sundays, we have a reading plan, we're walking through the whole story of the Bible. What you find is that both Yahweh and Satan have this unique desire for the natural space, that is earth. You and I occupy the natural space. In other words, they both want it. They both have a unique desire for it. They both desire authority. Someone say authority. They both desire authority in the natural space called earth. And if you think about that word authority, well, it comes from the word author. And when our Bibles tell us in Genesis chapter one, that God is the author of the entire universe. He is the author. Remember, Satan is an angel. He's a created being. He is not divine. He is not God's equal. The only thing Satan is the author of is lies. He is the author of nothing else. But Yahweh is the author of the entire universe, right? Look what Romans 13 tells us. It says all authority, right? We're talking about authority. All authority comes from God and those even in a position of authority were put there by him, okay? Look what Matthew 28 says. Notice how Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 28. Watch what it says. I think they even have it. Look, when Jesus said all what? Authority, all authority, all authority, both in heaven and on earth has been given to who? Me, Jesus says of himself. Just keep it up there for just a second. Jesus wants you to know he has all authority, not just in the supernatural realm, but in the earthly as well, in the natural as well. So when we're talking about authority, Jesus says of himself, I have been given the authority in both realms, in both sides. There's the heavens, there's the earth, I have authority in both, right? Which means by definition that Satan is unauthorized. So any false authority now that he is trying to operate in, it is illegal. He is unauthorized, he is operating illegally. And check this, when you and I are now in Christ, we are receivers of that authority in Jesus so you actually have the authority in the name of Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit to combat anything that the enemy would want to bring against you and your family and your livelihood because Jesus has all authority in both realms. He doesn't just have authority in the supernatural realm, he has authority in the natural realm, on the heavens and in the earth. But nevertheless, Satan puts up a fight to try to, take and exercise some authority still in this natural space called earth. And we as human beings who occupy the earth, right? We're created beings in the image and likeness of God. We are caught up in the space between, the space between. In the middle of this cosmic war of authority for regions and space, both good and evil in the supernatural want this space. 
that you and I occupy. It's not just dirt and earth that they want, but as, as humans that have been created, we are also caught up in the middle of this cosmic war for territory and space. It's a war of authority that's going on all around us, right? But what you realize when you understand that and you begin to understand the whole story and the background of what is really going on in the supernatural world, then you realize that Mark 5 is not just a narrative about one man getting set free from a few demons. You begin to realize that Mark 5 is a much deeper, deeper plot going on than just one guy. It's really about what supernatural power is gonna have authority in this space. It's always about authority. It's always about region. I'm, I'm here to tell you, when you read your Bible and you read about the miracles that Jesus does and the people that he interacts with and the people that he sets three, but you read it through the lens of it's about regions, you'll read your Bible differently. You'll read it completely differently. And so what I wanna do is I wanna dive into Mark chapter five. We're gonna study it and just tear it up along the way. And I'm gonna show you how this all works out in the end, okay? So Mark chapter five, they came to the other side of the sea, right? Jesus steps out of the boat. He's met there by a man who's all in the tombs. It's an unclean spirit that he has. He lived among the tombs. No one can bind him. No one can stop him, right? He's absolutely going crazy. He's breaking chains day and night. No one had the strength to subdue him. And he lives crying out and cutting himself with stones. Now let's pause right here. This is the most detailed description of a demon-possessed man that you have in your entire Bible. This is like a classic profile case of demonic possession, okay? Bible tells us in Luke's account that this man has been demon-possessed for a long time. This guy has no clothes. He lives like a wild animal. This man lived among decaying and dead things, which was not just contrary to Jewish tradition, but this is just contrary to natural instinct. He's living in tombs. The man had supernatural strength. He's, he's breaking chains. People have been trying to bind him up for a long time, just keeps breaking chains. He's cutting himself. He's tormented. He's self-destructed, self-destructive. He has uncontrollable behavior, but we know that he didn't start out this way. Like at one time, this dude lived in the village. He lived in the village, but all of a sudden behavior becomes a little irrational. He begins to be like just so out there, so crazy, so wild that the villagers just think, man, this guy is demon possessed or at the very least he is insane. So they try to bind him up. He keeps breaking the chains. They try again, breaks the chains. Eventually they run him out of town and now he is forced to live in the village cemetery on the outskirts of town where now he can only hurt the only person that's there, which is himself. Now that's a really great message for another time because listen church, when you spend too much time around dead things, you're only ever hurting yourself. That's how that works. Did a lot of young adult ministry for a while and you, you, I, I was teaching young adults till I was blue in the face because everyone always thinks they're gonna be the person who can spend time around dead stuff and not get cut. Everyone gets cut. The longer you spend around dead relationships and dead atmospheres, just dead, dead places, there's this, this, this stuff has no life. This stuff is taking me nowhere. It's not life-giving stuff. You're always gonna get hurt. You're only hurting yourself when you do that. Can we also just pause for a quick moment to just take note of how strong this man must have been? <laughs> that he survived something day and night for years that killed 2,000 pigs in one moment? 
Like that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty remarkable. Like this dude is going through some stuff. He's got some, but, he, but he's like still on his feet. That's, I mean, that's pretty remarkable. He's walking through some hard times, but like he's still standing, he's still technically breathing, he's still alive. I mean, like you can look at your neighbor right now and say, man, if you knew what I'd been through, you'd be surprised I looked this good. You know, like, I mean, this dude's been through some stuff. There was some, there was, he had some strength. There was some strength here. Keep reading verse seven. He's crying out with a loud voice. Now watch this. He sees Jesus. Watch what he says. What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Watch how the demons try to resist the presence and work of Jesus right here. See, what you need to know in the background of all that's happening right here in Mark chapter five is at this current time in history, there is an ancient superstition that was around in this region that, that, that believed that you would have spiritual power over another if you knew and said their full name. Now this shouldn't be too hard for us to grasp. Just grasp, just take yourself back to elementary school when you were being disobedient and acting crazy and acting a fool and your mama came around the corner and she said, Clayton Daniel Baird, you better, right? Like, what's she doing when she says that full name? Boy, she's exercising some authority. You know what I mean? You knew real quick, mom's on top. You know what I mean? Mom rules this moment, right? It shouldn't be too hard to understand. So when the demons actually say this to Jesus, Jesus, son of the most high God, this is not some faith confession. This is not some, oh Jesus, we recognize you. No, this is shots fired at Jesus. This was not a faith confession of him. This was their best first attempt to try to gain power over him. This is shots fired. They're trying to say his, his full name, right? This is an ancient superstition. The demons have the right theological facts, but they don't have the right heart, right? You know what this shows us? This shows us that you can know who Jesus is and still not surrender to him. I'll go one step further. You can pray to Jesus and still not surrender to him. That's messing with someone's theology right now. You can actually pray to him. Doesn't mean you're surrendered to him, okay? Look at verse nine, and Jesus said to them, what's your name? You apparently know a lot about me. You know my name, what's your name? My name is Legion, for we are many, and he begged him earnestly not to send us out of the country. What is your name, Jesus says. Now, a Roman legion at this time consisted of around 6,000 men in a Roman legion. Now, that doesn't mean that there's necessarily 6,000 demons in this guy, but he's got a few, you know what I mean? He's got a lot. There's, there's a lot going on right here. And watch this. When they say legion, Jesus, what, what is your name? They say legion. Now that's not their actual name. Like that's not the name. A lot of us maybe grew up, you thought that was the name. They're not giving an actual name, but what they're doing is they're trying to intimidate Jesus with a large number. So they're saying, oh, you wanna know about us? Well, there's a lot of us. There's a lot of us and we're, we're, we're unified. We're together, we're mighty, we're ready to fight, right? So, so they're telling Jesus, and watch, anyone watching this right now, any onlooker who sees this happening right now because of the ancient superstitions that existed at the time, they would easily believe that this guy has the upper hand over Jesus because he, he knew and said the, the full name of Jesus. He has now evaded the question to give up his own name to Jesus. And apparently they're rolling pretty deep over here and Jesus is only one guy. 
People probably think like, Jesus, we've heard a lot about you, man. You do some cool stuff, but it looks like you may have met your match right now, bro, because there is a lot of demons working up over here on this guy. Everyone's, every, everyone looking would have assumed that Jesus, I don't know if you can handle this one. This guy is tough. I mean, there's been a lot of us who've been after this guy. I don't know. You might be out of your league right now, Jesus. But what's interesting is none of that affected or stopped the authority and power of Jesus. Jesus wasn't buying into ancient superstitions. He wasn't buying into any of that mess. See, what really should happen right now, and this is where I really feel like preaching, because Mark chapter five should show you and it should give you unwavering proof that it does not matter who is against you or how many even oppose you, that, that the devil doesn't have enough demons in hell that he could assign against you that would be a match for our all-powerful, omnipotent, authoritative God who who is Jesus? If Jesus wasn't worried about maybe what could have been potentially a couple thousand, I don't know how many demons it was, but if none of that stopped Jesus in Mark chapter five, then I guarantee you there is no principality coming after your house right now that Jesus doesn't have the authority to handle. Because all authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. If you're in Christ, you chose a really good side. You're working with the side that has all authority. All authority in both realms. And Jesus is not worried about any of this. Look what Colossians reminds us of in chapter two and verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. He put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Colossians 2 tells us, man, Jesus disarmed every demonic power that would ever try to attack believers. He disarmed it. He made a public spectacle of their defeat and he triumphed over them by his work on the cross. They are disarmed and they are defeated. But this passage used to confuse me at times. I don't know if it ever confused you. It always used to confuse me until you realize this one thing that the enemy will always attack what is most valuable. He'll always attack what is most valuable. You see, you gotta understand this. You gotta know your enemy. See, a lot of us, we grew, here's the problem. I had this thought the other day. A lot of us grew up in church and you heard that there was an enemy. The only problem was you never stopped to watch game film on them. Like you never studied about how the enemy operates and how he works. You know what I mean? What good coach goes into the championship having not watched some film on the opponent that they're about to come up against? And, 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 and we do a good amount, some of we do a good amount learning about Jesus as you should, but we really don't ever stop to consider the schemes and the ways that the enemy tries to come at us, right? You gotta know the enemy's always gonna attack what is most valuable to you, right? The enemy knows where to hit you, where it's gonna hurt. And when Jesus healed the man, it killed the pigs. That's interesting, we're gonna come back to that because the devil knew if we can get in these pigs, which the people depend on, right? It's their economy, it's their livelihood, it's how they make money. If we can get in these pigs, if we can take care of these pigs, if we can attack these pigs, they will send Jesus away. See, the enemy knows what's most important to you. And that's where he's gonna always attack you the hardest. I'll say it like this, the enemy knows where your pigs are. He knows, he knows where your pride is. He knows your points of pain. He knows your worries, your fears, your anxieties. He knows what keeps you up at night. 
He knows exactly where to hit you, where it's gonna hurt. And when the people heard about the pig or when they heard about the man being healed, they were fine with it. But what scripture shows us is as soon as they heard about the pigs, they say, Jesus, please leave. Now you gotta stop and you gotta pause and you gotta be like, what is it about these pigs? All good about the guy getting healed. You lose a few pigs, people are freaking out. Couldn't you just get some more pigs? What's up with these pigs? Like, are these pigs, like, are they like, are they like giving up gold bricks? What in the world is going on with these pigs, right? Because the enemy, he hits you in the place that it's gonna hurt the most. And when he does that, watch this church, your tendency at times is to think this. If it's gonna be like this, I'm not sure I wanna get involved with it. If it's gonna be like this, if the presence of Jesus, if serving Jesus is gonna bring on stuff like this, I don't even know if I wanna be a part of this. I've literally had people say this at times, right? I've been in ministry for a little while now. I've had people literally say something like this. Man, before I was serving God, stuff used to be just really easy. I feel like life was really easy, didn't really have a lot of problems. Like, I just feel like it was just really easy. Ever since I started serving Jesus, though, it was like baby mama drama. I got all kind of stuff happening, man, attack coming on every side. Listen, listen, it's absolutely true. Because if I may respectfully before you were serving God and you were loyal to the kingdom of God, you were a non-factor. Like the enemy, he had really no need to even consider you. You weren't a factor, you weren't an issue, you weren't a problem, but the second you demonstrated loyalty to Jesus, See, see, watch this. When you and your household and your family, when you demonstrate loyalty to Jesus, watch this. It's not just heaven that gets notification, but now every principality and power of darkness has been notified that you are no longer neutral in this fight. You have decided, you have chosen that you are on the side of Jesus. And so now when you used to be a non-factor because you've chosen a side, the devil says, what's his name? Wait, wait, what's their name? What's their kids' names? See, now you're on record. You're on record. There's a bullseye, so to speak, on your back, but that should not make you fearful or timid because why? Because you've chosen the side that has all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. But you've chosen a side, you've declared your loyalty. Before that, the enemy didn't even need to notice you. But all of a sudden now you've stood your ground. You've declared that you're building the kingdom of God, that you're a son, a daughter, an heir of righteousness. And the enemy has taken note of all of that. As the band maybe wants to join me, we're gonna wrap up in just a second because I wanna pray for some people. The demons knew that if we hit the pigs, they'll send Jesus away. The demons knew that. And that's exactly what happened when you read your Bible. Man, the plan worked. I never really understood why they wanted the pigs, but, but I studied a little bit. I got into it. I, I kind of dug around and, and, it, and it all makes sense now. They know if we mess with the livelihood, they're all cool with people getting healed. They were all cool with the man getting healed, but now you're messing with my paycheck. <laughs> and when you start messing with my livelihood, Jesus, you gotta go. Jesus, you gotta leave. We didn't sign up for this. We signed up for healing. I didn't sign up to be messed with. I didn't sign up to, to be attacked. I didn't sign up to go to war. I didn't sign up to, to, to get 
caught in the middle of all this. Jesus, please leave. And for years, I looked at this passage just shaking my head. I didn't understand it. Why did the demons want the pigs? Just to turn around and kill the pigs, right? But then you realize this isn't about pigs. It wasn't about demon hating pigs. It was about space. It's about regions and who has authority in that region and in that space. So watch what the demons are actually doing right here. They've been in this region for a while now, many years they've, they've been here. They see Jesus now coming. They recognize right away without even Jesus opening his mouth. They, Jesus didn't go to them, they ran up to him. They ran up to him and the first thing out of their mouth was Jesus, son of the most high God. They know who's here. He's here now. He's the son. He has all authority. We know our time is up, but watch what they're doing. This is why they wanted the pigs because this, this was what they're doing. Well, if we can't be here anymore, then we're gonna do everything we can to ensure that you gotta leave too. Because it's about space and it's about regions and it's about authority. It wasn't about killing pigs. It was about making Jesus leave a strategic area. Now, earlier this year, Dr. Heiser came and did a seminar and we talked just for maybe a couple weeks after that, we talked about this idea of cosmic geography. It's a little bit about kind of what I'm talking about tonight. The fact that in the supernatural world, there is a war over geography, okay? Land matters, souls matter, okay? The, the earthly realm matters, right? And there's this war. So here's what I want you to think about, okay? Between the Old Testament and your New Testament, right? Jesus obviously leads off the New Testament with his birth. Between those two Testaments, there's about 400 years between those. And within that 400 years, there's, there's, there's not a lot going on in the spirit, so to speak. There's not a lot of prophetic activity. Um, it's pretty quiet from heaven, you know what I mean? All that kind of stuff. So the enemy has had a good amount of time now to mess with regions, mess with places, feel like he's taken some ground, he's taken over people and families, right? But now all of a sudden we break into the New Testament and you read in John and how John leaves off the fact that the word has now been made flesh, that the son of God has come to earth and he's not just here for souls, but he is literally here at the same time to take back regions that have fallen away from you. Yahweh and put them back under the dominion of Yahweh. He, he's here for a few things, okay? He's here for us, but he's here to take back what the enemy has meddled in and messed with for about those 400 years, okay? Jesus is doing all of this, right? It's always been about space and territory. It's about what supernatural being controls what space and so Jesus is doing all of this and the legion of demons, watch this, they're not just on assignment to plague one man. Maybe you've never considered that. Do you, do you really, like I don't know who, I don't know this guy's name. I don't know how much of a powerhouse dude this was. Like I don't know if this was like the next Elijah or something, but like what would warrant hell having to send a couple thousand demons to just make sure this one dude's on lockdown? You know what I mean? Like. Surely, surely their assignment was bigger than just one guy. You know what I mean? Like, like I, I, I don't know. And so it makes me think they're not just there for one guy. They're there because they're working a region. They're there because they've been assigned to a space, a region. Yes, this is their host, 
but they're working a region, right? And so Jesus comes and the people make Jesus leave and he, and he leaves. The plan works. You know, gotta give it to the demons. They had a plan, it worked. Made Jesus leave, but, but what the demons didn't factor into their plan was that now there is a man who has been healed, made whole, and set free in Decapolis with the knowledge of Jesus Christ. They, 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 they didn't take that into consideration. They thought, well, we gotta leave. We're gonna make Jesus leave. And then it's just gonna kind of be neutral ground for a while. And I don't know, maybe we'll give it another shot later. But they never thought to consider there's now a man that's healed and he's whole and he sees the power of God. And what does Revelation tell us? The Bible says this in Revelation 12 and 11, and they overcame them, the enemy, by the blood of the lamb and the what? The word of the testimony. The word of their testimony. And, and, and so what does Jesus say to the man? Starting in verse 18, and the man, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the guy, he, he comes up to Jesus. He's like, Jesus, let me come with you. Let me come with you. And Jesus did not permit him, but he said, go home to your friends and do what? Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Listen to me, church. Jesus wasn't worried about having to leave Decapolis. Like the, like the enemy didn't win this one. He thinks he won. Oh, we got Jesus to leave. Ah, yeah, point for us. Jesus isn't worried about having to leave Decapolis because now Jesus has a man on the inside who he has instructed, hey, bro, go around, share the word of your testimony. Proclaim what God has done for you, what you have seen, the ministry of his hand. Proclaim to everyone that you see because Jesus also knew that in just a little bit of time, he was gonna go to the cross and now the blood of the lamb would be added as the second part of that Revelation chapter 12 equation. And that's how we take back regions that have been operated by the enemy, but we take them back Back and we overcome the enemy with the word of our testimony and the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus wasn't worried about leaving. Got a man on the inside. You know why Jesus wasn't worried to ascend back into heaven at the end of the gospels? Because he now knows he has a whole lot more people on the inside. And I can go back to the Father and everything's gonna be okay because now I've already got the blood of the lamb part worked out. And now if we as the bride of Christ and the church will just be faithful with the word of our testimony, that's how regions are brought back under the dominion of our great authoritative, all powerful God. You wanna be a part of seeing regions come back into the right place under Jesus, under his rule? Man, it's the word of our testimony. That's what we bring to the table. The word of our testimony. It's all about space. It's all about regions. It's all about authority. Don't forget, you and I are the ultimate space that's being warred over. Which makes me, that's why it makes me so, I know it's not people. I know that it's a spirit trying to attack people. But when people feel 
not valuable and lesser than and marginalized and, and I'm nothing and I'm just little and I'm low and I don't matter. Listen, you, you matter so much to the fact that there are supernatural powers warring over you. You mattered enough for the most high God to send his one and only son. That's how much you matter. Anyone struggling with like, just, just bad, like, just bad self, you know, like you're down on yourself, you're, you're depressed, you're just, you're, you're low a lot. Listen, you matter and you're valuable. There's a whole realm that wars over who gets you. You're so valuable that the enemy is assigning stuff to attack you, but at the same time, our great God is sending ministry servants to protect you and watch over you and guide you and lead you. That's how valuable you are. You don't think you're valuable? You don't think you're needed? You don't think your life's worth anything? You don't even know the detail that has been assigned to you. You think Trump's got detail? You got detail. You got servants that go before you and behind you. You can't see them, but they're there. They're there and they've been sent by the most high God to watch out for you and protect you because you're a son and you're a daughter and you're an heir. Your space that is coveted in the supernatural. Both sides want you because you're that valuable. You're that valuable. It's not just dirt and earth that they want. It's the souls of men and women that they want. So crazy. All the enemy had to do was mess with 2,000 pigs and it was enough to, for people to literally send the presence of Jesus away. I, I had this thought right here and we're about to pray, but um, I don't know what is coming against you and your family maybe right now. It could be a lot of different things. And it's real and it's heavy and I don't mean to belittle any of it because we all know it hurts at times and it's weighty at times and it really messes, it really brings chaos when the enemy comes and, he, and all that kind of stuff. But, but here's what I wanna encourage you in. Don't make the mistake that the villagers made in Mark chapter five, don't send him away. Don't send Jesus away. Imagine how many more miracle signs and wonders that could have been done in Decapolis by the hands of Jesus had they not sent them away. They sent them away. Little bit of attack started coming to, to their little patch of dirt and, and, and now they send them away. Sometimes we don't actually verbally say, Jesus, leave. But sometimes you go through seasons and it's hard and the enemy's coming at you and, and you just naturally, you stop praying. You know, when you stop praying, you're basically sending them away. You stop, you stop leaning in and relying on the Holy Spirit like you have in other seasons. And when you stop doing that, it's kind of like you're just sending them away. Don't send them away. If you feel like you're being attacked right now and you feel like it's heavy, the best thing you could ever do is draw closer than you ever have before. Draw closer. We, we see other like, my thing is like, 
I mean, I don't know, there's probably some Gentiles in this area and all that kind of stuff. So maybe they're not like caught up with a lot of the Old Testament, but if they would have known a little bit about the Old Testament, surely they would have heard some stories about men like Elijah and Elisha who like go into widows' homes who have nothing. And all of a sudden from a little bit of oil flows up a whole lot of oil and a bad situation is completely resurrected. Like imagine, like think about what they did. They lose some pigs and so they send them away. But what if they just would have brought them into the house and he just would have said, bam, there's your pigs back. Like you just never know. He could have fixed it all, but they sent him away. Don't send him away. Don't send him away. If you've stopped communicating, if you've stopped praying for a little while, listen, jump back in the game. Jump back in the game. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. I'm not sending you away in the midst of hard times when I feel like I'm being messed with by the enemy. I need you even more. Please come, please come now, right? Because the enemy only attacks what's valuable. And I'll end with this. Um, here's the good part about that principle. If the enemy only attacks what's valuable and he's attacking you, what does that say about you? Perhaps it, perhaps it literally says, the enemy knows something about you that you don't even know about yourself. If he only attacks what's valuable, he knows something about you that you have yet to realize about yourself, that your valuable space, your valuable territory, your family is a valuable space, your marriage is a valuable space, and he's after it, right? If he's attacking you, it says something about you. Maybe, maybe, just maybe he knows that when you get whole and healed and set free and filled with the Spirit of God, just like our man in Mark chapter five, that regions that the enemy has had control and rule in will begin to fall away because now they will become under the dominion of Yahweh and Jesus will begin to rule in your house and Jesus will begin to rule in your town and on your street and in our cities and in our states. That's what the enemy knows that sometimes we forget. He only attacks what's valuable. Someone say, I'm valuable. Someone say, I'm more valuable than I even realize. Someone say, supernatural realms fight over me. And a most high God, the God above all gods, the King above all kings, the Lord above all lords, the one who is and is and is to come. He sent his only son because you're that valuable. Don't send him away. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org.